Okay, Matt, so I need your help with this. I'm a little confused. Okay. So I was driving home today, and I see this bumper sticker on the car in front of me. Mm-hmm. And it says, warning, this vehicle makes frequent stops at your mom's house. Now, I don't know um, what that means. Well, uh, well, okay, well, you see... <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. Well, you know what, Matt? <laughs> this is episode 50. 50! We have made it to 50. I can't believe this. I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> and we thank y'all for sticking with us for 50. No kidding. Man, some of you guys have been around since episode one. Yep. And that's awesome. Yeah. About 17 of you. Yeah. <laughs> and we all know you personally. Yep. Pretty much. I think, I think now the episode oneers we talk to daily, probably. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think I'm one of them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Four times. Right. <laughs> All your different personas online. Um, so we're we're going to blow through this intro because this episode is going to be long. Yeah. Um, but I want to say real quick that, as we said last week, tweet at us, tag us in a Facebook post, get get to talking about us on social media. That will help tremendously. Also, if you have a personal experience that you want on our Christmas episode, and we know, we know, we know, we know that not everybody celebrates Christmas, that there's a lot of different holidays, and we think y'all know by now that we respect all the different holidays. But that's since right. since we call it Christmas, since we celebrate Christmas, that's what we're calling it for the sake of this, this deal. Yeah, because remember... What we're doing, it's a is a Christmas tradition. It's, right. It's not another holiday tradition. It's a Christmas tradition of telling ghost stories on Christmas Eve. Right. So if you want to have your story told, please have that emailed to us by December 14th with the subject being Christmas episode so that I can search it pretty easy in the emails. Um, get that to us by December 14th. Now, if we don't pick yours, don't get mad. We're going to save it, and we will do other listener stories episodes as we have done in the past. Right. Um, we may get more than we can fit into the hour, hour and a half episode. Um, but go ahead and get those to us as soon as you can. Now, we had a quick idea that we wanted to run past y'all and see if y'all wanted to do. If y'all want to do this, we're down. I'm going to put up on our website each month we're going to give you a topic and for that topic you can send us in that in on our website send us any question you have related to that topic let's say it's haunted objects any question you have that revolves around haunted objects type it in submit it to us and one episode that month we will put it at the end of the episode you're not going to lose any of the subjects of that episode you'll still get a full one 
This will just be added to the end where we will answer your questions. Yeah. Graveyard Tales Plus. Exactly. It'll be <laughs> a, a little bonus for you. Um, Graveyard XL. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Not XXX, but XL. Um, no, that's a Patreon. Right. you got to pay for the XXX. Sorry. <laughs> but if y'all want to do that, um, hit us up email social media something let us know that you're interested in the questions and we will do it okay so now that we got the intro out of the way let's take a quick potty break and we'll get right back to it since 1848 monsters have run through wisconsin unchecked they have taken up residence in the vast forests fields and lakes within the state they move around in the darkness and try to keep their presence hidden but thankfully that is coming to an end the people no longer need to fear what they cannot see in the Badger State. And we owe this change to the Pine Barrens Institute. The Pine Barrens Institute was established to bring you all the information necessary to keep these monsters in check. It is our goal to research, document, and spread only the most truthful information on these once feared creatures. Rest assured, you will no longer need to fear swimming in a dark lake and wondering what kind of serpent is lurking just below your feet. You will no longer need to be afraid of walking into the dark woods and wondering what giant beast may call this cluster of trees home. You will not need to be afraid anymore. We are here to help. So if you feel your monster knowledge could use some updating, subscribe to the Pine Barrens Institute, Cryptids and Conversations. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and PineBarrensInstitute.com. All right, Matt. So we're back now. So what are we getting into tonight, brother? Okay. So tonight we've all heard the terms. We may not be completely sure on what they really mean, but we're going to clear it up for you tonight. We're going to be talking about out-of-body experiences and near-death experiences, or OEBs and NDEs mm -hmm. and BYOB. Well, we did. So. <laughs> no, we didn't. No, you're right. This is water. <laughs> that doesn't mean bring your own beverage because I brought. <laughs> oh well, yeah. Beverage. It's water. Yeah, I got. Yeah, we got a bottle. So we're gonna get into this, and honestly, w before we really started going down the rabbit holes, there I, were some rabbit holes. I'm telling you, but I really kind of always thought these. Out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences were just these people that had stories about, oh, I was in the hospital, and I was above my body, and I looked down, and I saw them trying to resuscitate me, or mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was in a car accident, you know, and I, could, I was hovering above my car. That's pretty much what I thought it was limited to. Right. I was wrong. Now, it there's a lot of that in it. Sure, yeah. But- there is so much more. Oh, man. And, and the more that we read, the more interesting it became. And, you know, I think Adam and I just spent the last 45 minutes before we started recording just going over. We should have recorded that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're just going back and forth about what we think about this. There were I mean? probably too many cuss words, though, <laughs> to air. <laughs> Holy <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, but it, it is it is insanely interesting and whether you believe in this stuff or not 
you know, you're, you're going to hear some information tonight that might sway your thinking a little bit, either for, against, or it may be something you've never even considered mm-hmm. that you might consider now. Right. So um, let's kind of start digging into this. So they are these things, near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, astral projection, any of this stuff, they are not mutually exclusive. They are similar, mm-hmm. but different. And we're going to kind of lead in with um, with with near death experiences because I think this will this will give you an idea of what's going on. And as we go, you're going to hear some stories, and it'll give you kind of a a tertiary knowledge of of this kind of stuff, so that you know what we're talking about later on. Right. So, like Matt said, we're going to start with near death experiences or NDEs. Now, you know. It is, I had the same thought when we were getting into this, that it was a, you know, hovering in the corner of the operating room kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, because that that's kind of what you're led to believe when you just take a glance at it. But these experiences have been around for thousands of years. Now, Raymond Moody first coined the actual term near-death experience in his 1975 book, Life After Life, um, that was the first time that it had been classified or had been called near-death experience. But approximately 3% of the United States population says they have had a near-death experience, according to a Gallup poll. That's a lot of people. Yeah, old, old Gallup got a lot of polls. Gallup polls a lot, and it, <laughs> I'm kind of concerned about him, but... You know, 3% of the U.S. population is a lot of people. It may not seem like it, but that's a lot of people. Now, how do we define a near-death experience? Now, I've got a couple different definitions here. Dictionary.com defines it as an unusual experience taking place on the brink of death and recounted by a person after recovery, typically an out-of-body experience, or a vision of a tunnel of light. Now, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, or IANDS.org, which I will reference a few times tonight, says that a near-death experience is a profound psychological event that may occur to a person close to death or who is not near death, but in a situation of physical or emotional crisis. Being in a life-threatening situation does not by itself constitute a near-death experience. It is the pattern of perceptions creating a recognizable overall event that has been called a near-death experience. So the International Association for Near-Death Studies gets a little more in-depth in their... Well, I would imagine. I would With a name so. like right. that. With a name like that, you can't just <laughs> copy and paste a dictionary.com <laughs> thing, you know. Um, like I did for that. <laughs> Here's what the dictionary.com said, says. you know, um, so it, it is an experience that you have at the time of a traumatic life threatening experience. And you can actually clinically die during this experience. You may not, but a lot of the stories that I have for you tonight are of people who were pronounced clinically dead 
and then came back. And said, whoa, yeah, here Hey, here we go. I'm back. <laughs> Bring the beer. I'm back. <laughs> so NDEs have been described by all cultures and societies for thousands of years. And all of these descriptions have similar characteristics. Despite what we'll get into here in a minute, science, that scientists say NDEs are how the brain is interpreting what is happening to it during death and overlaying the person's religious beliefs and life events. All NDEs, no matter the person's religion, race, creed, beliefs, no matter what, all of them have the same characteristics. So scientists, what what I'll get into here in a second, scientists believe that your religious bias, your cultural bias, whatever, it affects how your brain handles dying or a near-death experience. So it's right. it's overlaying your experiences on top of this traumatic event. Yeah. And, you know, I heard a lot that, one in particular, the, the the guy said the voice I heard was male. And he said, and I, this was, I think, his just interpretation of it, that you hear whatever you need to hear to or what you would expect to hear to alleviate the fear that comes with this. Right. So and, if if it was a, if it was a male voice, if it was a female voice, if it was in Spanish or German or English. That's what you hear. Right. Yeah. And that to a degree, you know, I I agree with that, you know, it you're not going to Because man, if if I was just hearing somebody like in Spanish. Right. I'd be like, uh oh. So confused. And it it would be, you know, I understand that you need to you're supposed to take something away from this. Um I think you'll find out as we go where Matt and I fall on the realm of believing this as we go, um, just by what we say, mm-hmm. and we don't have to yep. tell you, but... Oh, what a giveaway. Right. Um, science says that all it is is experiences that your brain is going through, and if that were the case, then it should be different for everyone, but it's not. And let's get into a list of some things that an NDE can include. Now, these are characteristics that have been related by someone over the centuries who has had an NDE. And you're not going to have all of them, but you may have one, two, five, something like that. First, an awareness of being dead, feeling removed from the world. Second, positive emotions described as peacefulness, well-being, and a lack of pain. An intense feeling of unconditional love and acceptance. A feeling of traveling through a tunnel or passageway. A feeling of moving toward and or being immersed in a bright light. Meeting deceased loved ones, but sometimes still living loved ones. Encountering angels or beings of light. Seeing the holy figures of your own religion. Another one is experiencing a life review or seeing your life flash before your eyes, as someone has said. 
And that's a common thing that you hear people say all the time, you know, that even jokingly, you know, you'll, you get scared and you're like, oh, my life flashed before my eyes. And in an NDE, a lot of times you do have a life review, you know, a lot of times you don't though. Um, I don't think any of the stories I have actually have a life review in it. So it's not as common as some people say. And maybe it is they just didn't want to relate the fact that, like me, they have a really boring life. It took five seconds to get through it's this. Like, like watching a Fellini film or something. Right. It was like blink done. And, it, you know, you are you end up more depressed after the life review than you were before. God, this is the worst movie yeah. ever. Oh, God. Now I see why. Now I understand. So yeah. um, also separating from the body. um. And it's called an out-of-body experience, which we'll get into later. But the feeling of floating and being able to see one's body and surroundings from an outside position, usually above. Also, feeling like one was called or pulled back to life among the living. So usually it doesn't just happen that you bang, pop back into your body. It's usually a pull. You feel pulled or drawn or pushed by another being. So near-death experiences may include a few of these um, because I don't think any of the ones that matter I found included all of them. So one of the ways you can tell that you had one is, have you ever experienced any of these during a traumatic crisis? I think, you know, I think people have heard enough at this point that those things, those classic things, the light, the tunnel, you know, seeing, you know, past loved ones. I think every everybody knows those things well enough or have heard those things well enough that if they experienced it, that's immediately what they think. You know, I had one. You know, it's, it's not really, you know, it's not like code or something. You're like, well, did I, or what was that? It's pretty obvious. You kind of know, you know, if it's happened to you. Right. And that's because a lot of these experiences, you may only have one or two of these things happen to you, but it was so powerful that it created a permanent change in your life. And that's what we hear time and time again in these stories is that after an NDE, someone was changed, powerfully changed. And some of these stories will tell you why. The emotions of an NDE are intense, and most commonly, they include peace, love, and bliss. But there are, and they're in the minority, but there are some that are marked by terror, anxiety, and despair. And don't you worry, it's Graveyard Tales. I've got you some of those. (laughs) It wouldn't be Graveyard without that. That's right. So um, let's get into kind of what science says about near-death experiences. And this is from a Scientific American article. Step one, die. Yep, step one. Well, not die, but get close to the get brink of really death. Get really close. Get really close. So, quote, many of the phenomena associated with near-death experiences can be biologically explained, says neuroscientist 
Dean Mobs, and he's from the University of Cambridge's Medical Research Council Cognition and Brain Sciences Unit. <gasps> wow. Oh, man. Mouthful. <laughs> Can you imagine having to introduce yourself like that every time? Imagine what your name tag looks like. Right? It's uh, <laughs> half a sheet of paper. Hi, my name is Dean Mobs. I'm from the University of Cambridge's Medical Research Council Cognition and Brain Sciences Unit. Okay, let's just go by Dean. Yeah. So, can we just <laughs> call, you call you Dean? I'm going to call you Dean. Yeah. How about DM? We'll just call you DM. So he says, for instance, the feeling of being dead is not limited to near-death experiences. Patients with Cotard syndrome or walking corpse syndrome hold a belief that they are deceased. This disorder has occurred following a trauma, such as during advanced stages of typhoid fever and or multiple sclerosis. If it's and, we got a problem. <laughs> if you have typhoid and MS, I, whew, I, I'm, I feel bad for Exactly. Um, and this has been linked with brain regions such as the parietal cortex and the prefrontal cortex. He says the parietal cortex is typically involved in attentional processes and the prefrontal cortex is involved in delusions observed in psychiatric conditions such as schizophrenia. So basically it's it's damage to part of your brain that is causing you to think you're dead. And this this is what science is saying. This is what science is saying. And yes, I 100% agree <laughs> that damage to those parts of your brain will cause this Cotard syndrome. However, Dean, that's not what we're talking about. When we say near-death experience, we're not talking about someone with schizophrenia or Cotard syndrome who is obviously walking, talking, doing fine, but they think they're dead. So... When this is being brought into the conversation of NDEs, I get a little confused. It's like some of the other topics that we've talked about. I kind of feel like you're stretching for an answer. Well, you know? I, yeah, and I think that some of that is science looking to pigeonhole something that they can't explain right. into something that they can't. Exactly. So this must be what it is. Or we've seen this, so this other thing must be this. Right. You know. And, you know, I, this is something that I don't think science will ever be able to really explain because you can't you can't really speak intelligently about what happens unless it's happened to you. Right. Nor is it a testable thing. Yeah, you can't do a double blind study on near death experiences. Right. We're 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 gonna shoot you, right? You know, let me know what happens. And, and, and right, you know, we're gonna put you in a car. And I'm like, you you can't do no, that. No, you know, highly and, unethical. First of all, yeah, and you, you know, know <laughs> and, and certainly not. I mean, you know, you wouldn't even say, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna inject you with something that's not gonna kill you, but it's gonna get you really really close. Yeah, and then we'll pull you back because everybody's gonna be like. Uh, no thanks. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. So, and you know, you can't go, okay, this is a placebo for that. Mm -hmm. And so then we'll do the doctor doesn't, that's double blind study. The doctor doesn't even know. You don't know, yeah, but somebody else behind, this guy. right. 
that you cannot do a study, a lab study, on something like this. So there but is they've no. Tried. Yeah. But without without putting people without getting people that close, they they've actually tried to, you know, uh, measure brain brain waves and brain activity and see how when people are in in this state, you know. But it's usually a coma. Mm-hmm. You know that that they're doing this, and so again, the results are kind of skewed because, right. you know, with a coma, you're not you're not dead, um, you're just not conscious, right? And you know, your body may be healthy. So again, we're we're just we're saying this because we're telling you that this is so difficult to to encapsulate, right? You know, you and 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 science wants to do that, sure. You know, That's, we understand this. We're gonna we're gonna put it in this in this box that says we. This is everything we understand about this because the box that says we understand NDEs and OBEs and all this is freaking empty. Right, right. <laughs> it is. I mean, and I think, like you said, it will always be empty. Yeah. We will. We may add a little scrap of paper here and there of yeah. something we have figured out, but we're not ever going to fill close and seal that box. Right. Um, and you know, we have done the studies on the human brain of where we send. And I think I've got this in my notes. I read it and I hope I put it in my notes so I can clearly state it here in a minute, but I can't remember. Um, we have done studies where we have sent electrical pulses into different parts of the brain to measure what effect it has on you like the firing of neurons during an intense near-death experience or something like that to see what happens. And it kind of goes back to that God helmet that the guy developed um, that shocks part of your brain and, and made you see ghosts and all this other stuff. So, yes, that can happen. But we haven't proven that this is what's happening during a near-death experience. We can recreate some of that in a lab safely, but we have not been able to test or prove that any of these things that we're talking about scientifically is what's happening. So it's one of those things that we think we're going to tell you this is what it is, but secretly we don't really know. But yeah. we won't admit that we don't really know kind of thing. Um, now, Matt will get into a lot of this more in depth um, in a little bit, but I wanted to touch on it here, too. An out-of-body experience is also known to be common during interrupted sleep patterns that immediately precede sleeping or waking. So, for instance, sleep paralysis, which I have on a regular basis now. Um, I have the opposite. I have like, you have sleep punching, yes. sleep running, yes. sleep moving. Yeah. You know, he does sleep gymnastics <laughs> and I feel sorry for Amanda now. I, well, I, according to her, I have sleep cover stealing. So you sleep with reckless abandon. <laughs> Kinda. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I feel sorry for you. I'm out. Like I'm just paralyzed. Um, but this is the the feeling of being paralyzed while you're still aware of the outside world. Now, it's apparently reported in up to 40% of all people, and they say it's linked with vivid dreamlike hallucinations, 
that can result in the sensation of floating above your body. There was a 2005 study that found that OBEs can be artificially triggered by stimulating the right temporoparietal junction in the brain, suggesting that confusion regarding sensory information can radically alter how one experiences one's body. So in a sleep state, if you get a weird electrical flow through your brain or something, then it can make you perceive yourself elevated above you. Now, that all makes sense. I get it. You know, I, I understand. But that still doesn't say this is what's happening. Yeah. You know, but I got I got a question. You smell you smell that. It's tangent. Right. <laughs> no, but when you dream and you remember your dreams, because I, I have a problem. I don't remember many of my dreams. I, I remember a few. Yeah, I have started a sleep journal now for that reason. As soon as I wake up, I write it down. Yeah, I can't. My, my sleep journal would look like it's written in Sanskrit or something. <laughs> yeah. Question mark, question mark, question <laughs> A. Yeah, just some squiggles. <laughs> but when you dream, do you see, are, are you yourself, like first person, or do you ever witness yourself in your dream? Because I have both. Me too. I have dreams where I, it's me. Almost like it's reality. And then I have dreams where it's like playing Call of Duty. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm hovering at like a 45 degree angle above myself. Right. I, not physically. I don't feel myself like like another being watching my body. I am. It's like I'm watching a movie of myself from that perspective, right. from behind myself. I have that occasionally. It's very rare, but most of the time it's first person. I'm there doing it, yeah. you know. But occasionally, yeah, I'll have that like watching a movie play out and yeah. it, it's really weird. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, yeah, it, it can happen in your brain can just do that. Yeah. You know, so the the reason I, to reel it back in, <laughs> uh, I brought that up is because a, a lot of of people that are sketchy on the whole out of body thing. Um, scientists included will, will say, this is a dream. You're dreaming this. And so that's an, it's a, it's a reasonable explanation, but it feels like low hanging fruit. Sure. Because it, it would be very, very simple to say, oh, well, you dreamed this and you saw your own body in the dream. I can I can see that as being a possibility mm-hmm. for a lot of these where people are saying, you know, I, I was floating and I was above and I was looking down. Right. I could see my body down there. It's not like there's a lot of rules with your dreams that. Right. You know, you know, but if somebody was to say, I don't dream that way, you know, I had a friend who said all of his dreams, it's like watching a movie of his of himself. Mm hmm. You know, he, he's not ever in first person. Um, and, you know, you and I both say we do both. Right. But there is a chance that a lot of these are, in fact, dreams. Sure. That you just dream that you're you're floating out of your body and you see yourself lying there. Sure. You know, it, it's not really happening. Your your subconscious is feeding it. Right. And and you're right. There There is a high possibility 
that a lot of these are when you when you're strictly talking OBEs. Um, NDEs during a traumatic experience. I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. You know, that's a whole nother animal. Yeah. Um, but possibly, I mean that that could fit an NDE if you're bedridden and it's a slow process, perhaps. Um, but you know, we'll we'll get into a lot of that more when Matt gets into his part of it because it pertains a lot to the out-of-body experiences and stuff that Matt has. Um, so we'll we'll take a deep dive into that. Um, one of the other things, the last thing that science touches on here before we get into some other stuff, is that one of the most, quote, famous aspects of near-death is hallucinations where you're moving through a tunnel toward a bright light. Now, it's they actually say, although the specific causes of this part of an NDE remain unclear. Tunnel vision can occur when blood and oxygen flow is depleted to the eye, as can happen with extreme fear and oxygen loss that are both common to dying. Yep. So hypoxia. You ever stood up too fast? Oh, yeah. You know, you, you, you develop syncope. And I like to, when I'm, when I'm describing it to somebody, I'll say, you ever get, uh, you know, get fuzzy around the edges, mm-hmm. you know, where you're kind of like, whoa, you know, that's what's happening. Right. You know, that's exactly what's happening. Sure. Um, but never during any of those have I thought I was traveling through a tunnel of light. Right. You know, <laughs> I do get tunnel vision, but I know what's happening. I don't. Yeah. So, so if I say that to counter your, your statement about the way scientists talk about hypoxia can cause that tunnel vision. We've all experienced that. Mm-hmm. I dare say that 99% of the people that are listening right now know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. And they know what it feels like and they know what it appears to look like that is not traveling through a tunnel. Exactly. They they won't confuse it because they've had it happen. Yeah. They've stood up too fast. Exactly. And they won't confuse that like some people want you to believe they're not going to confuse that for traveling toward a bright light down a tunnel. Mm -hmm. Now let's get into some of these experiences that people have had of NDEs. Now this one is from a website, nderf.org, which is near death experience reference.org. You can go check it out. There is a ton on there. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time. There's a ton of them and they're not in great detail. Um, but I chose this one because this one is an encapsulation of most everything that people assume an NDE is. Now, this was due to a cardiac condition that periodically caused loss of consciousness, and this person named Timothy has detailed a lot of NDEs starting at age 17. So this may kind of travel into the OBE territory. We'll see. He says, I was instantly in this place of golden light and pure love. I was standing in this area of light without boundaries. The love was incredible. I saw a group of people made of light. I wondered who they were. As soon as I thought that, they instantly came to me. There were about a dozen people and two of them came closer to me. One was a beautiful woman with auburn hair. 
She was dressed in a white robe and radiated light from her being. She was powerful, in charge, but full of love. The love surrounded us and it was in us. We were all connected in this light. Now that is a classic mm-hmm. happy, happy, joy, joy NDE. Yeah. Um, so a lot of them that you get into will sound like that. And that's just what you're going to run into. You got to weed through to get some of the other weird ones. Now, this is from the IANDS.org website that I mentioned earlier. And it says that a lot of times people, this is adults and children, will report being greeted on the other side by animals, especially if they have favorite pets who have previously died. But a lot of times it's the children who describe an animal heaven, some even saying that they have to go through that before they can reach the heaven where people are. Adults see it sometimes, but a lot of times it's told to you by a child. Yeah, jumping over all the litter boxes. Pretty much. (laughs) all All the ones that you haven't touched and left in the corner there. So this says several years before his death, Bryce Bond, a famous New York City media personality turned parapsychologist, shared his story of what happened to him when he once collapsed after a violent allergic reaction to pine nuts and was rushed to a hospital. He remembered suddenly passing through a long tunnel toward a brilliant light and then, quote, I hear a bark and racing toward me is a dog I once had a black poodle named Pepe. When I see him, I feel emotional floodgate open. Tears fill my eyes. He jumps into my arms and starts licking my face. As I hold him, he is real, more real than I have ever experienced him. I can smell him, feel him, hear him breathing, and sense his great joy at being with me again. He said, I put my dog on the ground and stepped forward to embrace my stepfather, When a very strong voice is heard in my consciousness, not yet, it says. And I respond with why. Then this voice says, what have you learned and whom have you helped? He says, I'm dumbfounded. The voice seems to be from without as well as within. Everything stops for a moment. I have to think of what was asked of me. I cannot answer what I have learned, but I can answer whom I have helped. He says, I feel the presence of my dog around me as I ponder those two questions. Then I hear barking and other dogs appear, all of them dogs that I had once had. As I stand there for what seems to be an eternity, I want to embrace and be absorbed and merge. I want to stay. The sensation of of not wanting to come back is overwhelming. And Bryce was also greeted by all of his relatives who had passed on before him. He experienced these loved ones as somewhat younger in form and face than when he had last seen them, healthier and happier. He remembered racing backwards through the same tunnel he had entered when it was time to leave and reviving in time to witness a hypodermic needle being plunged into his arm. He said, I heard a voice say, welcome back. I never asked who said that, nor did I care, but I was told by the doctor that I had been dead for over 10 minutes. In in dog heaven. Yeah. And maybe an NDE is near dog experience. I don't know. <laughs> um, but 
Like, who wouldn't want to stay in dog heaven? Exactly. I that, mean, I, can you imagine? That's what I was just about to say. Being a, a pet owner, a dog lover, that that is my heaven. Even if, you it's, know? Even if it's just all the dogs you've had. God, right. I'd have a dozen. Right. It's you know awesome. And they'd just be everywhere. Then you hear the voice say, it's your job to housebreak them. Yeah. Oh, crap. <laughs> You're like again? Yeah, I did this once already. And, and this and this one over here, the white one, I never got him housebroken. Right. <laughs> All right. So got another one. Um, says uh, that this is from the same website. Um, there are cases of near death like experiences that kind of mimic um, what happens during an actual death. Um, this is from Julian A. Milks, a retired teacher. He says, as I looked up, I saw what I presumed would be an inevitable death. I separated from my body and viewed what was happening from another perspective. My whole life flashed in front of me from that moment backwards to different segments of my life. The review was not like a judgment. It was passive, more like an interesting novelty. He says, I can't tell you how many times I think of that near-death experience. Even as I sit here and write this story... It seems as though it happened only yesterday. Now, Mike suffered no injury. The speeding car that was veering toward him veered off just as suddenly as it appeared, and it sped away. So that kind of falls along the lines of an out-of-body experience, which we'll touch on. Mm -hmm. You know, it was a traumatic experience that he was basically sucked out of his body as it was happening from fear. and that could fall along the lines of what medical science is saying. You know, uh, something triggered in his brain and caused that vision to happen. Um, we've got another one here before we get into the um, darker promised side. <laughs> um, this says my aunt died in the hospital several years ago. She was clinically dead for a few minutes. In that time, she says she floated above the operating table and saw them trying to revive her. She says she felt a pull on her and flew out through the very top of the room. She remembered very clearly floating above the light fixture on the ceiling and then there being darkness. Suddenly, she found herself floating above the ground, several inches just above a field of dirt. In front of her was a very large chasm, deep and very dark. She couldn't see the bottom of it from where she was. On the other side of the chasm was a beautiful field, green grass, flowers, trees, and sunlight. On her side of the chasm, it was an overcast with very little light, no vegetation, just brown dirt. She felt the same force that pulled her out through the ceiling of the hospital start pulling her across the chasm. As she started floating over the chasm, these hands reached out of the blackness and started pulling at her, almost like ripping the flesh from her legs and feet. She says it was the worst feeling of pain and cold she had ever experienced, and it horrified her. After what seemed like forever, she reached the other side of the chasm, and the hands went away. The feeling of pain and terror was replaced with a feeling of happiness and contentment and warmth. Several family members that had been dead for some time were there, 
and they seemed to be beckoning her over. She was heading through the field when she heard the doctor say something. It sounded like it echoed very loudly from the other side of the chasm. Suddenly, that force pulled her across the chasm again, only this time much faster than she had been pulled over the first time. Again, the hands came, and again the cold. The hands ripped at her, and she felt the pain she had felt before. Finally, she came to the dirt side of the chasm again, the blackness. Then she was on the ceiling of her room in the hospital, and she saw her body spasm violently, and her arm smacked the doctor's arm, breaking his watch. Her spirit was pulled back into her body again, and she heard him say something like, she's back, and then blackness again. She woke up, and she was P.O.'d at first. Then she realized she was alive, and she thanked the doctor. Now, he was surprised, because when she did it, she was still technically dead. No, well. So when she said thank you, she was still technically dead. See, I... <laughs> See, Adam Adam had shared a part of that story with me, but he didn't share that last part. Right. So the best part. It's kind of like I was kind of I was kind of like, whoa, I'm <laughs> in this story now. <laughs> right. So that that's that, you know, you're, you're getting pulled and you see things and you hear things that are happening to your body that you shouldn't if you right. were dead, you know. That if you didn't have an outside vantage point, you shouldn't see these things. Exactly. That's going to come up more later. Mm -hmm. Let's get to the darker side of these NDEs. Now, I found this article by a guy named Brent Swanser, and I've touched on some of his articles before, and some of y'all may have found his articles. One guy named George Ritchie was from World War II, and he published in a book in... 1978, it was Return from Tomorrow, um, this NDE that he had. Now, Richie described coming down with pneumonia and being brought to an army hospital in Richmond, Virginia. There, he was pronounced dead, but he finally revived after nine minutes with a horrifying story to tell. He claimed that he had had an out-of-body experience where he wandered around town and met a mysterious figure who took him on a guided tour of various disturbing places. One was a bar where people desperately tried to drink, eat, or smoke cigarettes, but could not, no matter how hard they tried. This vision of those who could not partake in vices or what they loved most was relatively mild compared to what was to follow. He next found himself in a barren wasteland where spirit, spirits of all shapes and sizes were engaged in vicious battle with each other, punching, biting, kicking, slashing at each other with wrathful abandon. Richie would later write of this scary, foul scene and say, even more hideous than the bites and kicks they exchanged were all the abuses that many were performing in fervish pantomime. Perversions I had never dreamed of were being vainly attempted all around us. Now, a lady named Nancy Evans Bush wrote a book called Dancing Past the Dark, and she explained a little bit more about some of these hell-like visions. Um, she said, some are hot, some are cold, some are like deserts, some are like a swamp. 
Some are too bright in terms of fire, and some are full of wet, slimy, nasty stuff. She says, I've heard descriptions of wells with slimy creatures in them, but I've also heard of barren waste with nothing. Now, you mentioned some sort of evil monster demons or beasts being a common feature in these hellish NDEs. Well, in 1981, Veronica Barthel or Barthel saw such an apparition in her own NDE, which occurred after she was struck by lightning in her car. She said, the creatures that I saw were more terrifying than anything I even saw in a horror movie. Today, I would describe them as demons. I saw them as soldiers, and they were marching past me. And in the middle of them were people that were screaming with pain. It was very difficult to breathe down there because of the terrible smell of this place. I saw a lake, which looked like the inner part of a volcano, where people were cursing because of great pain. So it's not always love and light. Right. You know, there there is the light and the dark, the yin and the yang of NDEs. Um, but they all, whether good or bad, they all revolve around the same type of sites for everybody. And like we said at the top, these have been described for thousands of years. Um, but that's only half of the story, half the episode. Um, out of body experiences, like Matt said, are in the same vein, but not quite. Right. They, we'll just let Matt tell you about them. <laughs> so, my stuff's going to be a lot more pleasant than that. Yep. <laughs> Good. We need a brightener. But I'm, I want to start out by um, explaining a little bit of the, the difference between what, what Adam has discussed and what we're about to get into. So, like we said at the beginning, they're, they're very similar. I mean, we're essentially talking about your conscious leaving your physical body, mm-hmm. whether it's hovering above or, you know, standing in the next door neighbor's house or on the other side of a planet you, you've never even heard of. Going to New York. Yeah. Yeah. That's a different planet. Yeah. <laughs> For us, it is. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're similar, but we're going to talk about how they're, how they're different. So, as Adam mentioned, you know, NDEs are essentially a subcategory of, of a type of out-of-body experience. An NDA, an NDE, as he mentioned, is a forced uh, out-of-body experience. So you can't control it. You don't know it's going to happen. And it's associated with, you know, some, you know, severe physical trauma. Mm-hmm. And your your consciousness is pulled away from your physical body. Right. With other types of OBEs, you're, you're not really in any kind of danger or imminent death or trauma, your consciousness just says, eh, I'm going to go on walkabout. Yep. Let's, Doodles. let's see what we can figure out. Right. And, and there's a lot of different variations of this, but essentially, you know, you, 
you experience what you would if you were awake, but much differently because you're not held down by the restrictions of your physical body in the physical world. Mm -hmm. So you can fly, you can pass through solid objects, you can instantaneously travel to different locations. And some people claim to have been able to harness this ability and practice and practice to the point where much like remote viewers, they can do it almost at will. And that would be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. And that's what we call astral projection. So the, the main difference between an OBE and an NDE is of course that physical trauma, you know, that, I'm so close to death that my consciousness has slipped out of my body. Mm -hmm. But generally, out-of-body experiences are safe, natural, and non-life-threatening. So they're both experiences, though, that can lead to a profound inner change and personal growth. Um, Changes in values and beliefs, as well as a loss of the fear of death. And and one thing I found is that some of these ancient shaman would talk about that they had no fear of death mm-hmm. because they were able to experience what death was like or, right. or what it was going to be like after their physical body died. Mm-hmm. You know, so they didn't have a fear, you know, they knew what to expect and, and, that's probably the greatest source of fear for anybody is the unknown. Sure. Absolutely. You know, what comes next, you know, especially if we're talking about, you know, physical death. Right. Okay. So while NDE accounts can be very positive and inspiring, um, it's not recommended, as you said, to try to have one. No, I, I, I wouldn't know. recommend doing that. No so, Ouija boards and don't try to have so, an NDE. Along with, you know, some of the stuff that, that comes along with uh, OBEs, we're going to get into a little bit about how to do it, or at least how to try. So, maybe a little uh, Graveyard Tales Home Edition again. There you go. So We like giving y'all homework. <laughs> yeah, try You can try this at home. Um, it, it is possible, much like revolt. I can't talk. it is possible much like remote viewing to train yourself in order to be able to have an outer body experience. And a a lot of the people that are spiritualist, I guess is a good term. Mm -hmm. Um, they will tell you that again, this is something that everybody can do. You just have to learn how to do it. Sure. Now it's a little bit. Now, if any, if it's tricky, if there's possible to be trickier than remote viewing, this this is. Yeah. Okay. So all of you folks that went home, and we know some of you did because we met some of you at the live event that you had gone home and tried this. Yep. After listening to With the remote some viewing pretty show. cool. Uh, yeah. Outcomes. That's right. So, you know, this is something we're going to give you some ideas on how you can try this, but let's let's talk a little bit about it. So. This is conscious out-of-body experiences. Your conscious leaves your physical body, and you are aware of it. 
You can, like I said, fly. You can float through walls. Mm -hmm. You can visit relatives that are still living in their house in Australia. That would be cool. Yes. And some people have even talked about um, using, they've, they've used terms like, this is the ultimate FaceTime. <laughs> right. You know, you can, you know, my, my friend is in New York and I'm in Los Angeles and I'm going to astral project to New York and have a face-to-face conversation with my friend. Right. It was the original FaceTime. <laughs> it was the original <laughs> FaceTime. Um, so every now, now, according to some, every time we fall asleep, we have an out of body experience, but it's not a conscious one. When we fall asleep, our monad or our self, along with our emotional, mental and lesser casual bodies leaves our physical body. And exactly the same thing occurs in a conscious out of body experience, except the exit point is different. Now, I'm not going to harp on this kind of stuff because it gets kind of out there. Um, But just, just, just bear with me for a minute. Okay. When we fall asleep, our self exits through the solar plexus of the heart chakra, depending on whether it is going to the lower or upper emotional world. So when you exit through either one of these chakras, The consciousness thread, which is the link to your physical body, becomes detached. Hence, the physical body loses consciousness. You fall asleep. Okay? The physical brain plays no part in that out-of-body experience. So, you don't have recollection of the event. The memories are, however, stored in our emotional permanent atom, which is part of our subconscious and has an influence uh, on our dreams. That's why you wake up and, Oh my God, that was the craziest dream. And then you start trying to remember details about it and you can't. And within just a few seconds, it's gone. And all you can, all you can really do is have that feeling of, man, that was a really crazy dream. I'm glad you summed that up because I'd started to get my brain wandered. Yeah, I know. I I know. And, And mine wandered too. Um, when, when I'm, when I'm reading this, So now for a conscious out-of-body experience, the self must exit through the crown chakra. Now, this allows the consciousness thread to remain attached to the physical body so that it doesn't fall asleep. The physical brain remains connected to the remote self, which provides real-time conscious awareness of the out-of-body experience and full recall afterwards. So it's making sense now? When you're out of body, your walking consciousness is no longer restricted by the the physical brain, and you can perceive non-physical beings and environments. The quote-unquote silver cord that out-of-body explorers often report seeing is the life thread or the sutratma. Okay? Now, it carries the life energy from the self to the heart chakra, of the subtle body. So if you're following along, so when you leave this way, you stay attached to your physical body, to the, to your brain. Mm -hmm. So, but your body doesn't fall asleep. Right. You're in like a meditative state 
and your consciousness is out roaming around. Like I said, goes on walkabout. Right. And it's got this this uh, this thread that's its trail of breadcrumbs, like an to, umbilical cord, to, to yank you back. Right. Okay. So what you're saying is, during a conscious out of body experience, you will exit your body through your astral hole. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! How did I not see that coming? <laughs> I set it up. <laughs> I set it up for yep, him. You did. That was just a layup. That's all that was. Okay. So um, let's just to kind of bring this in, so you kind of understand what I'm what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm going to share. I'm going to share a story. Okay. This story comes from oberf.org, which is out of body experience reference.org. Same as Adam's. The cousin to the, the other part of it. Right. And this is from Hallie, uh, Hallie L. She says, I did not regularly meditate. On this occasion, I was feeling stressed and grieved that my marriage had ended. I decided it might be a good idea to do so to help me feel calm enough to fall asleep. I remember that it was a little after 12 a.m. midnight when I went to bed. I lay there doing deep breathing and bringing my attention to two single words that I repeated in my mind slowly and deliberately. The two words being peace and love. I concentrated fully on the meaning of each word with each slow repetition, eventually imagining and considering the meaning as if it were embodied or experienced as a felt emotion. Before long, I perceived the room around me from an angle above my bed, ceiling height, gradually seeing the view of my rooftop. Then I was viewing my property from above far enough to see the suburb and further still the city lights from an aerial perspective. I noticed I was in orbit and feeling totally enthralled and curious by what I was witnessing, viewing the earth illuminated by the sun's reflection just astonishing. It's a joyous experience remembering this as I write now after some 29 years later. I was absolutely peaceful, felt connected to all and everything. I completely felt safe, awed and humbled by what I was witnessing. Until I looked down at myself and not seeing me, my body self, I experienced a slight panic. Then I felt myself back in bed falling with a rocking thud. I sat up in bed immediately, feeling alert and elated with joy, but startled by what I had just experienced. I checked the clock, and it was well after 3 a.m., although it felt like only minutes had passed since going to bed. I immediately got up because I felt intense electricity in my hands, arms, and throughout my body. The uneasiness I was feeling before going to bed was replaced with what I can only describe as enormous confidence and a sense of courage and peace. The only thing I could do to dissipate the electricity felt in my body was vigorous calisthenic exercises to the music of MTV at the time. (laughs) To this day, the memory remains as vivid as any conscious life experience, perhaps more vivid. And to date, I have not been able to repeat this experience again. Well, that sucks. So that story is just, it is a perfect example of what, an out-of-body experience is. Mm -hmm. You know, it encompasses all of the things that people will will share that they experience too. That feeling of 
uh, of I, I felt myself lift, and you'll hear people say lift off. Mm-hmm. You know, to lift out, and I look down, and I, I can see myself, and I just keep going. You know, I'm 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 out, and I'm passing through my roof, and I can see everything around me, and I, and I don't feel scared. I don't feel worried. I feel this peace, and and I'm just in awe right. of, of what I'm experiencing. And then even to the point of being in outer space, which is a common, uh, common occurrence with yeah. these out-of-body experiences. Just so, like the remote viewing was. You got it. Yeah. So, you know, what we were talking about there right before I shared the story is, you know, you're leaving your body, but you're doing so in such a manner that you're still connected to your brain so that when you snap back, which is another common occurrence where something happens and it's time to go back. And then wham, I'm back. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you have that snapback, you have full recall of what you just did. Not like a dream. So well, when we're talking about that unconscious out of body, which is what is described as being, um, you know, the, uh, a dream essentially and you you can't remember it or you can't get details or it, it seems out of place this is different because you're still connected so you have that recall you can remember what you did so it's it's different because it's it's not a dream even though as you're describing it to another person it may sound like you're describing a dream mm-hmm but to you, as she says, the images were so vivid and the feelings and the emotions were so vivid, even maybe more vivid than what the physical world has, that I know that I was not dreaming. Right. Okay. And, you know, when, when you talk about, well, how in the world could you ever prove that this is what happened, that it wasn't a dream? Well, there are many people who have had out-of-body experiences that can say, I, I was in bed, and my sister was downstairs in another part of the house on the telephone. And I went there, and I heard her conversation, and I learned who she was talking to and what was said. And then later, when I shared that information with her, there was no way that she, that I would have known what she was talking about because we were separated by distance. And, you know, even if the sister would say you were listening in, you know, you were right. sneaking around, you know that when you get that confirmation, hey, that I, I'm right. I'm right. I did this. Yep. There's no way I would have known what she said, but she yep. confirmed it. Personally, so right. you know. Right. You know. Yeah. And so it's much like in remote viewing, how they'd say it's it's so important for the remote viewer to get that feedback, to know, mm-hmm. you know, to know, hey, I did this. I didn't just dream it up or I didn't just guess, you know, I didn't get a lucky guess. I knew it. So that feeling I that I had when I got that data and I made the correct, you know, response. Same with out of body when they get that positive feedback that says, "Why do you, how do you know that? Mm-hmm. You know, you weren't here 
or even you were in another city. How could you possibly have known that that was going on at that time? Right. You're getting that positive feedback. So, you know, hey, this feeling, what happened to me, the process that I went through, this is legit. And maybe I could do it again. Yeah. Or you can't recognize it when it's happening. Right. You can't prove it to anybody else per se, but prove it to yourself. Proving it to yourself is is a big thing. You yeah. know, it, it lets you know that you're not going crazy. Right. And so the folks that have been able to um harness that, to recognize what it's like to to know, okay, this is a dream and this is not. This is what I feel like when I'm about to leave my body, they have been able to control what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And it's less of an experience and more of a, of a journey or an adventure. And that's how a lot of them will, will describe it. Um, you know, this is, these are my journeys. You know, this is what I do. You know, I've, I've been to places several times, but sometimes I go to places that I, I don't expect and I, and I, interact with somebody different or I see something different. Um, you know, like I said, the space thing comes out a lot. Yeah. These people have such a interesting experience, adventure or whatever. Me an experience or an adventure is going to Kroger. <laughs> you do you know, that now. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. When I, you know, have a, I tell somebody about my adventure I had this here's, weekend. I went shopping. Here's you an know. example of Adam going to sleep with his out of body experience. Am I out of mustard? Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm in front of the fridge and I'm out of mustard. Oh. All right. Now I'm in Kroger. They're out of mustard. They're too. out of mustard. Crap. <laughs> and then I wake up. <laughs> so now Adam knows don't stop at Kroger on the way home because they ran out of mustard. Exactly. You're going to have to go to Target. Go to Target. Target's got all the mustard you need. So that's one of the benefits of an out of body. It, it's perfect. Which, surprisingly enough, is what I'm going to talk about next. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> like we planned that crap, you know. And we didn't. I can guarantee you, we didn't. We don't plan half of this. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some benefits, but what? But to finish what I was saying, now, that is being able to control it and and do that kind of stuff and and repeat it. Um, that is what astral projection is to be able to say, I want to go there and do it, you know, to send your consciousness somewhere else mm-hmm. and experience what's going on there. That is astral projection. Right. Okay. So you can't talk about out, out of body experiences without talking about NDEs and without talking about astral projection. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, there are benefits to being able to do this or at least trying to do it. And it's, it's all about meditation and Tantra and, you know, being able to get away from that physical body that's weighing you down. And so people will say that, that being able to get into this state helps them overcome fear. Number one, the fear of death learning that we are not our bodies, that we are our consciousness and our bodies are simply a vehicle. We're behind the steering wheel. Right. You know, but you don't live in your car. You get out and you look around. You know, if you went on vacation and you stayed in your car the whole time, you're only experiencing half of what you would normally experience. So you get out. 
same thing. As you go through your life, if you stay inside your body, you're really only experiencing a small part of what you could actually do if you could just yank yourself out of your vehicle and go look around a little bit. Right. You can't buy that mustard unless you exit the vehicle. That's right. So they've discovered that the physical body can also experience deep healing during out-of-body experiences. The mind can be tough on the body, and rather than losing time to practice meditation during sleep, yogis would continue to work through the night while their body rested. So imagine being able to finish that term paper, you know, or to, you know, fix that leaky roof, you know, after work. and you're just, you're exhausted. Man, I can't, I cannot do this. You know, I'm just worn out. I don't have enough time, but yet your body can sleep and your consciousness goes and, you know, does the other stuff that you need to get done and that, while your body rests. That makes me even more tired. <laughs> like, but you know, I have the dream where you, you're at work mm-hmm. and then you wake up and you're like, I got to go to work. Right. Yeah. So that's you're, the worst. You're just screwing yourself. That, that way. is the worst. Yeah. Because I'm not really actually accomplishing anything when I dream I'm at work. Right. You can't dream that you're on a beach with a margarita. Right. You because know? I'm at work and like, here's one of my coworkers next to me and it's a goldfish in, in a suit. And mm-hmm. I'm like, what is, why are you a fish? And you you're know? there in your underwear. You can't do this you know? job. You know, your flippers can't even. <laughs> <laughs> All you the know, while Matt's in his underwear, not knowing why he's yeah, in his underwear. And I'm like, I got none of my stuff. I can't, I don't have anywhere to put my pen. Can't remember what <laughs> class he's got to go to next in high school. It's weird. Weird dream. But you know, who else can, who else does this, you know, or can learn to do it and get benefit? Athletes. You know, athletes learn what's called lucid dreaming, which is also a part of outer body, out of body experiences to practice and visualize their game. So by working in a dream or an out of body, not only can they visualize, they have a felt sense of their practice and can actually acquire the muscle memory for winning habits. So others benefit from the opportunity to explore past lives as well as accelerated personal development. Right. And I've had lucid dreaming. I've been trying to work on that myself here lately. Um, because they're used to, I would realize I was in a dream. And as soon as I realized I was in a dream, I'd wake up. And here lately, I've been trying to do that. Well, if I'm in a dream, let's see what I can do. Right. And lucid dreaming, if you haven't ever experienced that, it's weird. And yeah. it, like Matt was saying with fear, you know, you, you get a little uncertainty and then, oh, you wake up. You uh-huh. know, you just got to go with it. And yeah. it, lucid dreaming is, Interesting. Yeah, it is. But, you know, it, it it falls under the category of out-of-body experiences. So I want to share this story before I get into how to do this, how to learn, how to train yourself on how to do it. Um, I, I, did, I did some research in this, and I realized that um, this rabbit hole had a really slippery slope and that uh, I was okay. fixing to shoot down it, and, and I, I didn't want to. And, and I'll tell you why. When, when I tell you what it is, you'll know why. Some people that will talk or teach about astral projection and, and out-of-body experiences, they will mention the use of helpers and 
one helper in particular that I heard about a lot that's going to be talked about in this story is psilocybin. Okay. Magic mushrooms mm-hmm. for, for folks. Yeah. For folks that don't, that don't know the technical term, but magic mushrooms listed as a helper to this. Now, I have a problem with this. And so there's a lot of herbal supplements. There's vitamins and there's everything. All, I mean, just the list goes on and on that say that they will help you and, and to achieve this, but they are not drugs. And furthermore, they are not hallucinogens. My problem with this is that if you take a hallucinogen, how can you personally tell was this an out-of-body experience or was this just a trip? Exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. I, I don't, I, of course, I, you know, I, I'm not, I've not ever tried to astral project myself, so I don't know what it feels like to know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, have, I have a slight issue with that being a helper. But listen to this story. So this is from Victor C., uh, again, from OBERF.org. He says, my girlfriend and I shared a small, very small piece of psilocybin mushroom. I thought we would probably not feel anything, and I'm very experienced. We lie down together in a field holding hands, which is usually what happens. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Let's go lay out here and we can can inhale the grass and become Uh the air. Yeah. You're not really on them unless you have to hold on to the grass to keep from falling off the earth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whoa, man, the earth is tilting. I'm about to grab my hair. <laughs> and said so they looked up at the beautiful full moon. I, it was a beautiful summer night in Vermont. We did not speak at all. We just looked at the moon, relaxed and silent. The next thing I know, the moon seemed larger. I was so relaxed. This is an old but vivid memory now, but at some point, I found I was floating with my girlfriend, hand in hand, in the blackness of space, and we just tumbled, gently, and at times faced the earth, which was only about two feet wide, at arm's length, stretched out arms, and sometimes we faced the moon. We tumbled gently for a while, but I couldn't say for how long, maybe 20 minutes. Then at some point, very gently, I found myself just laying there again in the field, holding my girlfriend's hand, looking at the moon, wondering what in the world just happened. At some point I spoke and said, I just had the weirdest vision or dream or something. And she said, me too. We started to talk and instantly realized it was not a dream or a vision. It happened. We experienced the exact same thing together. Needless to say, it changed us. So m- uh, most people don't have the same trip. Right. You know, so while this you, one may be different. While you were telling that. Yeah. M- yeah. My whole, the whole thing from the beginning up until a certain point, I was like, dude, you did good, man. That little <laughs> bit got you. <laughs> and then when you said she knew the same thing, I was either like, y'all were really high or something else. <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of changed me there toward the end. Yeah. The fact that they, the, the reason I included that one was one, it, it was the only one I found that really included the mushrooms, but the, it was two people having the same experience, which you typically don't do. 
<laughs> when you're uh, when you're taking mushrooms, right? Um, so it, it's it's pretty unique, but I think by now the listeners should be able to tell where we're going with this. You know, how do I do it? Mm-hmm. This sounds like fun. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, there's there's no pits or chasms or voids or anything yeah, you without know? psilocybin. Without psilocybin, we're, we're not. And advocating any of that he said and and all the, I, I must say that all the people that you know i either read their articles or i watched their instructional videos or whatever they all agree that you do not have to have them mm-hmm. so my interpretation of it is is in order to be able to do this you need to be able to switch that consciousness that conscious brain off right you know, or at least turn it way down. Right. Um, because just like with remote viewing, outside distractions, internal distractions prevent you from being able to do this. In fact, you know, I heard one gentleman describing how to do this and his words was until you can, you know, release the stress and the anxiety and all those distractions, you ain't going nowhere. Right. You know, his words. So, you know, you, you've got to be able to get rid of all of that, the, those distractions in order to actually do this. So that would help. Right. That's why a lot of times, um, you, you had mentioned yogis or shamans or whatever, the people that are able to go into a, a, a state of meditation to separate themselves from their physical brain that where it's like they're they're so focused on got to take the kid to school, got to go brush my teeth, got to do this. They're able to meditate and remove all that. Yeah. And it, it seems like that, like you're saying, is the necessary part. Right. That's what you've got to do first. Right. So let's talk briefly, because I, I know we're running a little bit longer than we typically do. And I've got this incredible story to tell that's a little a little long, but you, you got to hear it. Um, let's talk about how to do this. So there's several techniques, and I've got probably seven or eight different techniques. They're all basically the same. It's just how you start is what's different. But the first technique is the most popular, and it's the Monroe technique. Now, Bob Monroe was the founder of the leading research organization in the field of human consciousness called the Monroe Institute. See, he's got a better name. You know, it fits right on his name tag. Exactly. And um, he penned a body of work called Journeys Out of the Body in 1971, where he provides a detailed outline on how to astrally project oneself in seven steps. Seven steps, that's it. Seven steps, and you're out. You can be you can be peeking in your next-door neighbor's window. What? Why are there always seven steps? I, because, you know, it's like, you know, seven chipmunks sitting on a branch, eating a lot of acorns on my uncle's ranch. It's just, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm watching a thing called The Code, and it's about number code for everything in the yeah. universe. Maybe this has something to do with that. Everything has seven steps because that's all you need. Because would you do something that took, had 47 steps? Hell no. Right. Now, you know, or unless it's like, 
you know, you're putting together IKEA furniture and it's like yeah. 957 steps. I was going to say 47 steps. That's a breeze. That that's a footstool from IKEA. So, so here we go. The Moreau technique on how to astral project. Step one: relax both physically and mentally. Step two: enter a hypo hypnogogic hypnagogic state okay which is i'm i'm here but i'm not here right um it, or half sleep as he described why did i just say half sleep i pronounce it ridiculous well, word hypnagogic is fun yeah it's a fun right. word it's a word that i would trip over it. <laughs> step three deepen the state by prioritizing mental sensation over physical sensation step four Pay attention to the presence of vibration in your environment, which becomes apparent in a state of deep attention. Now, the vibration thing, that's a common denominator. All these people that can do this or have done it will say they felt the vibration. And it's like they're mostly their head. Their head begins to feel this like internal vibration. And that's so I heard somebody put it as that's your your consciousness jiggling loose. <laughs> One way to put well, it. Well, let's not get too technical, you know. So step five, incur the vibration in your physical body and relax into its presence. The purpose of this is to gently jiggle the subtle body out of the physical body. Hey, hey it was there was right here. That, that gently jiggle is it's also you hear it all the time. Step six, focus your thoughts on leaving the limbs and the torso and try to do so one at a time. Step seven, known as lifting out, focus on effortlessly, effortlessly drifting out of your physical body. Okay? Sounds pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Probably not as easy as you think. No. But Take some e- practice. It's easy to try. Right. And that's the thing. And, you know, a- according to everything I've read, it's perfectly safe to try. At the worst, you're going to fall asleep. <laughs> right. Okay. You're going to get really relaxed, and you're going to start snoring. I do that watching TV. I don't need to do this. Look, I've tried meditation before, and 90% of the time, I fall asleep. Right. So, And on the topic of the vibrations and everything, um, that made me think of a lot of shamans and everything. They use a drum beat or something during their ceremonies and and it's always you know doom 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 and it's a a repeating pattern um in australia the didgeridoos and the drums and it it all comes back to that jiggling loose Uh of your inner self from your outer self where you fall into that rhythm and it's kind of a a hypnotic type thing and you have to have that vibrational energy mm-hmm. in order to separate. Yeah. So, you know, Tibetan monks, mm-hmm. you know, everybody knows the OM. Right. Okay. Not just that. You're producing your own, you know, sound, your mantra. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you've also seen them use the bowls. Mm-hmm. Okay. We're going to get to that because you saying the OM and then the, the bowl being vibrated you know, that produces the tone, you're getting two different frequencies there, which is really important. Right. Okay. Um, the next two, we're just going to kind of touch on, the, it's the rope technique 
and the stretch out technique. And essentially, you're, you're visualizing your body letting loose. So with the rope technique, you're, you're kind of like a rope hanging, you know, from one end and it's shaking back and forth and you see your body kind of wiggling back and forth and you're jiggling loose your consciousness. And in, in the stretch out technique, you're essentially visualizing your physical body expanding and contracting. And each time your feet get larger and then you, they contract and then your head gets larger until you eventually fill the room. And now you have a, your physical body has expanded out enough that your consciousness can just lift out. Right. Okay. So that's the, the, the rope technique. And it's also called the stretch out technique. You know, they didn't get real fancy with those names. Thank goodness. Um, but let's talk about lucid dreaming, you know, with habit and repetition. So we can attain lucidity the instant we recognize that we're in a dream state. Okay, so some people train themselves by asking themselves several times a day for days or weeks, is this a dream? I do that every day. Because yeah, right. somebody will inevitably come up to me and say something stupid, and I go, is this a dream? Is this real? You Did didn't you know really you were just- training. <laughs> But the question eventually gets stuck in the place that songs and jingles get stuck. You know, it says like uh, Afternoon Delight by Starlight Vocal Band. You know, yeah, I can't get this song out of my head. Mm -hmm. Well, eventually what you're doing is you're putting those words that am I in a dream? Am I in a dream? Is this a dream? You're getting that stuck in that spot. Right. Repeats it over and over and over. Now, the premise to this is that the question begins to habitually repeat And eventually the mind will ask during a dream, is this a dream? So when you're in a dream, now you're asking, is this a dream? And that is how you achieve lucidity. Now, the best opportunities for becoming lucid within a dream are during REM sleep. Now, this stage happens in the first two hours after we fall asleep and before we wake up. Now, by waking up, And going back to sleep during the night, we increase REM sleep time. Now, some use the sleep-wake method by setting interval alarms during the night, getting up for a few minutes, and then going back to sleep with the intention of keeping the mind awake. If awakened during the dream, immediately go back to sleep, and if possible, go back into the dream with lucidity. Now, when I read this, I immediately thought of this because I had heard this. And I have to say, I have to give credit. <clears throat> this was Norm McDonald. I heard him doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, have you ever been dreaming a really awesome dream? Like you're in a pool with Christy Brinkley. <laughs> and then you wake up and you immediately try to go back to sleep and go back to the dream. But instead of the dream, you get some weird hybrid. Like instead you're shooting pool with David Brinkley. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. That's what would happen to me if I tried this. Right. No kidding. <laughs> Get some crazy hybrid. Now, the last one we're going to talk about um, is the Drayton Manifest technique. And this one is the one that uses the music and the sound. Okay. So you want to listen to white noise or focus in listening your environment or binaural beats. And the word binaural means having are related to two ears. So remember when I said something about having two different frequencies? Here it is. This represents the process which works by simultaneously sending a marginally different sound frequency to each ear through headphones. 
brainwave entrapment happens inside the brain and it it is caused by a physiological response. Now, besides uh, out-of-body experiences or astral projection, listening to binaural beats has a lot of benefit, okay? It reduces stress. It reduces anxiety. It can give you increased focus, increased concentration, increased motivation, increased confidence, deeper meditation, and improved psychomotor performance and mood. Now, you can go right now. Uh, well, not right now. Wait till the show's over. Yeah, don't, don't, you don't can pause. Go, you can go... Um, you can go on the internet, you can go on YouTube, and you can find numerous recordings of these binaural frequencies. Now, you got to listen to them with headphones, mm-hmm. okay? Um, a lot of them will have warnings, okay? Because there have been instances where listening to these frequencies can cause like nausea or headaches or things like that, but typically they're safe. Um, and and they will help you with relaxation and mood, so... You know, if you have a really stressful day, you know, find one of these. And I'd say find one that is pretty reputable. That's got a lot of listens and a lot of good comments. Put on some headphones, sit back and relax in a nice, cool, dark room and listen to that for a few minutes and and see if you don't feel more relaxed. Because remember, in order to try this astral projection, you have got to be relaxed and you've got to let loose of that stress and, and outside distractions. So this helps you do that. Right. You said warnings that it could make you nauseous or headaches or whatever. Wish they'd have put that on Creed albums. <laughs> Would have helped. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I kind of liked Creed when they did that. <laughs> I, I, I thought they were all right. Anyway. It goes on to use a four, seven, eight breathing technique where you hold the tongue on the roof of your mouth near the teeth while inhaling through the nose for four seconds, hold for seven and exhale through the mouth with a whoosh sound. So you repeat this until you notice you naturally return to your normal breathing. Okay. So you'll get better at this the more you practice, but you know, it's part of the relaxation, you know, the deep breathing and everything. And essentially, you'll get to a point where you stop the breathing pattern and then you begin to ask yourself, what was my intent? You know, am I am I trying to relax? Am I trying to better my mood? You know, you take into consideration how awesome it would be to do this thing that made you want to project in the place at this particular moment. So you immerse yourself by playing out what you would do when you separate from your body. And it can be anything, as long as it's something you actually want to do, whether it's insightful, educational, emotional, sexual, or just fun. You know, so by by visualizing what you really want to achieve by doing this and then going through the relaxation, it, it gives you the opportunity to lift off, mm-hmm. and get your consciousness out of your body. Okay. So we've, we've given you guys some instructions on how you can try this. And, and, you know, it wasn't hard for me to find these. So if you're not taking notes, don't worry. You can find all of these methods and, you know, hundreds of different websites. I mean, this is not something that, you know, we had to go to the dark web to find out. Right. About. Don't do these on the subway. Yeah, don't do them on the subway. And it's probably best to try to do them when you're alone. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, I, you know, I'd put the pets up, you know, make sure the kids are gone. You know, you know, if your significant other, you know, isn't around, you know, give it a shot. Do you know? not allow your wife or husband to walk in on you doing this. You will have explanations that you never thought wait, you would have wait, to wait, say. Wait, 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 wait. I'm yeah. on my way back. I'm yeah. on my way back. No, 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 honey. I swear. <laughs> I swear I was trying to astrally project. Yeah. Yes, I was going, oh, woo. But I, it, it was astral projection, I promise. Here is one footnote. When you do this, you're supposed to do it clothed. I know some people will think, oh, I got I to gotta strip down. So I, I, yeah. You have to you do it You just do that for everything, though. No. Well, yeah, you do that for recording. Hold on, I gotta, right. I gotta strip down. <laughs> Hold on. But they say that you need to do this because remember, your physical body cannot fall asleep. Mm-hmm. If your physical body falls asleep, it will not work because you won't remember what happened. Right. So it's pretty much you're easy. just asleep. You're just asleep at that point. Okay. So I'm going to get into this story, and like I said, it's a little bit long, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. Maybe I need to chop it up a little bit, but this was posted on OBERF.org by Todd B. And it was posted in September of this year. And one of the footnotes says that, you know, at at least one of the stories he's reporting, um, you know, occurred within the last 30 days. So this is not, this is new. I mean, you know, it's, it's new, but it's not new. Um, People have been doing this for centuries. Um, but it's, it's really, you know, it's something that people can still do. You know, it's people are still out there learning how to do it, teaching others how to do it. So Todd B writes on this specific experience. I was living in Seaside Heights, New Jersey at the time. It was 1993 and I was attending a computer technical school. So I always set my alarm for 7 a.m. on weekdays. One morning, I distinctly heard my alarm clock go off. He said, I always hated that thing. I remember quickly sitting up, sitting up in bed from the waist up. I instantly became confused because the alarm was no longer going off and it was still dark. Dawn was coming, so I could make out shadows and shapes in the room. I looked at the clock, and it was like 6.10 a.m. or something. And I thought, wait a minute. Why did I hear the alarm go off? It was then that I noticed somebody in my bed sleeping. This really shocked me because at the time I slept alone in a small twin bed. I turned my head around slowly and I saw a person lying in bed, apparently sleeping. Then, like a a jolt of knowledge, I immediately realized that that lump of flesh was me. Upon that awareness, I was slapped back into my physical body and I woke up for real. I then became sad that I didn't take advantage of my conscious out-of-body state to go off on some great adventure. So, Todd goes on to explain that he began to keep an OBE journal to document the other experiences that he was going to have. I have too many experiences to list here, so I will highlight a few to spare the reader a novel. One morning, while my wife was in the bathroom blow-drying her hair, getting ready for work, I found myself in that perfect, mind-alert, body-asleep state that is so vital to out-of-body experiences. The familiar vibration started, and I began doing my roll-out technique. Again, the vibration, Mm -hmm. the whole, 
My mind's awake. My body's asleep. This is where I'm lying on my back and I begin the sensation of rocking from side to side. With luck, the rocking gets longer and more dramatic until it feels like I'm about to roll off the bed. Eventually, if I'm lucky, I finally pop out of my body and begin floating like a balloon with about a third of the helium left. I remember slowly floating to the floor where I reached out and grabbed the leg of the bed. It felt like cold metal, no different than if I was doing this physically. I could still hear the drone of my wife's hairdryer. I was extremely alert. It was dark in the room, but I could see enough. I remember wanting to go onto the roof to check out the weather. I looked up and saw a hole about three feet in diameter awaiting my ascension. I remember going through this hole as I floated higher and I saw the attic. I lived in a townhouse at the time and I never had been in the attic. The support beams, insulation, every conceivable detail. Finally, I was on the roof. I remember sitting on the roof, taking it all in. It had been raining for days on end and I expected it to still be raining, but it wasn't. In fact, I saw the moon in the southeast just above the tree line in the distance. I took note of that, and then I looked up and saw the most beautiful, brilliant display of stars I have ever seen. I don't recall when I made it back to my body, but I remember my wife came into the room almost ready to leave for work. The blinds were still closed. I asked her to check to see if it had stopped raining. She looked out the window and said it had. I then asked, can you see the moon in the southeast above the trees? She said yes, she could. The fact that I had not looked out the window physically, nor would I have not even known the moon's cycle or where it would be at the time of morning, was a nice little verification that I indeed just spent a few lucid moments out of my body that morning. Another time early one morning, I felt the vibrations and successfully rolled out. Did my usual floating around, saw myself in bed and walked into our bathroom. I looked in the mirror to see what I would look like. It was very hard to describe. I looked like myself, but very dark. I was comprised of what looked like sparks of electricity or vortexes. Very, very hard to describe. It was an energy, a refined energy. And he says in parentheses, my astral body. That kind of, It kind of sparked with a constant movement. I could have stared at my hand the whole time, but when I'm Consciously out of my body, I usually want to go to space and traverse the universe. With that thought, I was shot up into space at unbelievable speed. I'm used to it by now. I flew around amazing swirling galaxies, planets, stars. I can't even get enough. I have been to the moon several times. No, I haven't seen any aliens, unfortunately. And I have floated above the earth where the earth is about the size of a giant beach ball at arm's length. Just absolutely blown away by the clarity, colors, and beauty of our physical home. When I'm out of my body consciously, one of my favorite things is to walk through doors and windows, and of course fly. What always strikes me is how normal and familiar it feels, as in, oh yeah, how do we always forget this is our natural state? I could go on and on, he said, so I'll end with these highlights. One time I was having an OBE and floated out of one of our windows facing the front street. I found myself standing in the middle of the street. and Suddenly a young female was by my side. She seemed familiar to me. 
She then said, I love having a friend from planet Earth. That's the last thing I remember before being back into my body. Uh-huh. Yeah. Another time I floated out of my body and immediately uh, felt and then saw a dark male presence in my room. It was tall, shadow figure with some kind of top hat. I didn't get a sense that it was there for a tea party, so I took off to go on another galactic adventure. Uh-oh. Yeah. Everybody, everybody should know what he just saw. Dark shadow figure with a hat. Yeah. Let me think. The hat man? That's right. Now, he said he never saw the figure again, but years later, my daughter started talking about the man with the top hat that mm. stares at her at night. He said, but that's a story for another time. Jeez. One time I was floating in space and I wanted to go see my sister who had died. Suddenly, I saw this bright light that began to look like it was beginning to explode towards me like a supernova. I immediately freaked out and found myself back in my body. I was upset with myself because I allowed my fear to dictate my action. Where I had allowed the light to absorb me, I probably would have gotten to contact her. But the explosion of light was so startling, it was a knee-jerk reaction. Um, the, that panic and fear seems to be a common thing that will cause you to snap back into your body. Right. When you freak out, you go back. Right. And, and that defense if you, if mechanism, you believe any of this at all, that seems like a defense mechanism because mm-hmm. you don't want to be out of your body and flipping out. You know, right. it's like all of a sudden, if you flip out, whoop, you better go back. Yep. You're not, you're not ready for this. Yep. You know, maybe next time he goes on to describe another experience where he, he visited a place that he had never seen before. And it was like this weird barren place with these odd zombie type people. That's weird. And he said they weren't really zombies. They look like regular people, but they were just kind of in this weird zombie state. He said the way they spoke and what he felt was that this was an area for people that had lost all hope. Uh, okay. So you just ruined a joke by saying that. <laughs> I, now I, I, I was going to say, what, did he run into a pack of teenagers? Uh, but yeah. Then you, then you said that, and I'm it like, still works. I guess so, yeah. It still works. Teenage emotion. But anyway... You know, a a long story, but really great imagery of what people experience when they astral project, when they had these out-of-body experiences. And so you can see now how all of these things are connected. Right. You know, with whether we're talking about NDEs, OBEs, astral projection, lucid dreaming, they all have this commonality that we are not a physical being. We are a spiritual um, or just conscious being. And our physical bodies are just a vehicle. This is just a temporary thing. And this is what this isn't what we really are. Right. Which really bucks the system pretty hard. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it doesn't matter what what religion you are, what, what belief system you have for the most part, society says you're here. And when you're done, you're not here. You're not here anymore. And you go somewhere else and we don't know what it is. Or maybe you don't, maybe you're dirt. Right. You know, it, it all depends on what your belief system is, but these people that have experienced this and trust me, there's a lot of them. They, 
they are trying to, and they're not preaching. They're just enjoying this experience and they're sharing it by saying, you don't get it yet. You might, mm-hmm. you should try because what we see and what we feel and what we experience in this physical body is barely even scratching the surface as to what we really are. Right. You know? And so after doing this research, I'm, I'm inclined to think that this is legit, that there is something to this. And I mean, you know, if I, if I put my religious upbringing aside and, and, you know, I say that with the caveat of, you know, I wasn't like super religious, you know, I grew up going to church, mm-hmm. you know, I, I went to Sunday school. So I know what the Bible teaches. You know, I, I have, I have studied other religions. I know what, uh, you know, at least on the surface of what they teach. Right. You know, wouldn't it be cool if this was possible and all of that was right too, without, you know, I don't want to start some religious thing. I just want to, you know, get you thinking. You know, what if we are? I mean, what if we're talking about your soul? You know, if that's what you believe, if you believe we have a soul, what if that's what we're talking about? What if your soul is the driver? What if that's what makes you you? What if that what well, that's what makes Adam Adam and Matt Matt and Amanda Amanda? You know, Ashley Ashley. What if, what if that 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 body that that photograph that shape? You know, that hair color eye color. What if? That's just, it's just the same as, you know, you know, Adam drives a, a, a gray truck and, you know, I, I drive a, a, a blue car and this guy, you know, he drives a, a, a red sports car, whatever. What, what if that's all we are? It's just a vehicle mm-hmm. for a greater consciousness that if we know how can get out of the car on vacation for a little while. Right. And then. Like you said, that kind of transcends all previous beliefs of of religion or or agnosticism or whatever. You know, not talking that at all. Just talking physicality, right? Um, it to me, it's you know, I I tend to lean that way. That we are, like you said, we're uh, you know, a a puppet. That yeah. is being driven internally, and if we understand how to open the door, we can get out and take a walk. Um, but there's a lot of beliefs put on that, right? You know, to to put it mildly and not cause any debates that we don't want to cause. There's a lot of beliefs put on that one idea, um, and. You know, we're just kind of looking at how do we access the driver in that car? How do we allow that driver to get out and go do their thing? And, you know, Matt was able to dig up some ways that you can try it for yourself. And if you're interested, give it a shot. You know, Um, you had talked about astrally projecting to space. I didn't touch on this, but just so y'all go check it out. Um, Carl Jung had an NDE uh, back in 1944, and he wrote a book called Memories, Dreams, Reflections. If you want to hear about his, where he went to outer space during his NDE, go read that. It was too long to put in this 
episode, but ties in with Matt's story of the guy who astrally projected to space. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you believe? You know, do you, you may already have an idea that this is something that, you know, this is, this is reality. Mm -hmm. What we experience now is just a temporary state. Um, and, and our consciousness lives on and, and lived on before, you know, if that's the case, it would sure explain a lot of things like past life experiences, reincarnation, Mm -hmm. things like that. You know, why do I have memories of something that happened a hundred years ago? It seems like a lot of the stuff we talk about seems to weave in and out. Yeah. You know, it sure does. And, you know, I don't know. Adam and I have kind of shared what we think about it. You tell us what you think. You know, have you ever had an outer body experience? Do you know someone that had? Mm -hmm. Was it similar to what we've talked about tonight or the stories that we've shared with you? We'd love to know. I mean, like I said at the top of the show, Adam and I found this topic once we started digging in just amazingly interesting and and worth exploring um you know it's your personal journey you know you don't have to share this with anybody you don't have to go to work and you know stand around and say hey last night i tried to astral project or have an out-of-body experience you know everybody knows you're probably going to get some weird looks right but you know if you think this is something that's legit you know give it a try like i said at worst you're going to fall asleep you know or maybe you just really get in a nice, deep, meditative state, you know, and, and feel refreshed and de-stressed. Either and, one of those is good. Yeah. Nothing bad is going to happen out of this. So, um, Unless you, know, you go to work telling people about your astral hole, and then you need to keep that to yourself. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, and, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not encouraging everybody to do it, but I'm just saying, that, you know, if... If this interests you, it's worth a shot. Right. Okay. So um, thanks for listening, everybody. I'm going to astral project uh, out of the graveyard and see what uh, what Amanda's got for dinner. Yeah, I, I've got a pee, so let's wrap this up. <laughs> All right. Just like I say every week, go rate and review us on iTunes. It helps bring more people to the graveyard. Go check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um Get in our Facebook group, please. This is where people are going to be talking about this stuff Mm -hmm. after this episode drops. Um, So get in there. Uh, You can find us on Facebook by searching Graveyard Tales, uh, and we'll put you in there. Um, I got nothing else. No. It's time to do some astral projection. So until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon. See you soon.